One itself. Oh, we had uh, an earlier problem over near Green River. That's got traffic backed up from just about Weir Canyon. Your next report, 115 from the Simpson Automotive Group, 24-hour traffic center. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Air raid sirens going off most of the day over Israeli cities as Hamas continues its barrage of rockets aimed at civilian targets. Meantime, Israeli warplanes have already dropped over 1,000 bombs in Gaza with hundreds of Palestinians killed. With reports of horrific atrocities emerging from southern Israel, the war between Israel and Hamas is really just getting started, so we will go in-depth on all of it. We're going to hear from an American Israeli who was at that music festival near Gaza when the Hamas attack began. Also, kind of a tug-of-war over American weapons system is emerging between Ukraine and Israel. Which way will the U.S. look? We start with the scene now from Tel Aviv. Manny Yakutiel is an American-Israeli restaurateur in Tel Aviv. Manny, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out to speak. So give us a, a quick update, if you will, on the situation where you are, which is Tel Aviv. Well, I've been going back and forth between Tel Aviv and Beit Shemesh, where my immediate family is staying. The reason I was here was to celebrate my niece's bat mitzvah. And in both places, it's been nothing short of harrowing. Uh, in Beit Shemesh on Saturday, I had to run to the bomb shelter seven times. Two of those times I was in a synagogue and I had to watch as over 100 children um, were shrieking and hollering, not knowing what was going on, had to be protected by their parents. Uh, and just today, I, I left Tel Aviv to go be with my family for dinner. Uh, and at one point, uh, a bomb siren went off while I was on the road because the area immediately around me was being targeted with missiles. And I could actually hear the missiles being intercepted right above my head. When you run to a bomb shelter, I can't imagine what that must be like, but do you feel safe inside the shelters? Do you think they're enough? Well, um, most new construction in Israel, unfortunately, given the reality of living in this country, have bomb shelter rooms in their apartment. Uh, being in that room in my sister's apartment was, I mean, I was with my family, um, but, you know, to have young children ask what's going on and, 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 and for them to be so scared, you know, kind of pervades the air. Um, in newer construction, in old construction, everyone has to huddle in the stairwell, which is what happened earlier today when I was in Tel Aviv. There's some camaraderie in that, but there's also fear because if the if the building is hit by um, a bomb, you're not fully protected. And then on the road today, I mean, that was that was the worst because you really do feel exposed. As you know, uh, I'm sure your prime minister said that while Israel didn't start this war, it will finish it. It will end it. In your view, in the view of, of your family and friends, how does that ending look? Well, I should correct whoever introduced me. I'm not Israeli. I am American fully. I'm an American citizen um, and not an Israeli citizen. My family lives here um, and, you know, much of my family is here. So I don't I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to actually answer that question. OK, um, but let me ask you, as as an American citizen, um did while many Israelis, of course, were taken totally by surprise by this attack, uh, as an American in Israel, uh, I know when I was in Tel Aviv a couple of years ago, I felt pretty secure and not thinking 
that there would be any danger, especially in the major cities like Jerusalem uh, and Tel Aviv. So how did this attack affect you from a psychological point of view? Oh, I mean, completely. I've been to Israel many times. And Israel for, you know, for much of Israel is a very joyous, uh, very beautiful place. And and it just so happened, not just so happened, clearly it was targeted. But Saturday was a special Jewish holiday called Simchat Torah. And it means joy of, of, the, of the Torah. It's a day where Jews all over the world gather together. They dance, they sing, they uh, have fun. They throw candy on the, uh, all around and kids gather the candy. And so it is supposed to be the happiest day of the year. And I was fully expecting to have my first Simchat Torah in Israel filled with dancing and joy. Um, and I've been to Israel many times and I've never feared for my life. I've never heard a bomb siren. Normally, when these things happen, they are isolated to the areas in and around contested territory. But this, having, you know, so many Jews and Israelis pulled out of their home and kidnapped, people killed in cold blood, unarmed in the street, um, and the sheer number of rockets that have not just been sent, but have actually hit targets around Israel is a whole nother um, experience that most Israelis have not had to experience in their lifetime. When I went to the synagogue, to gather my father on Saturday, I turned around and I could see where a missile had actually hit, not terribly far from where I was. And I saw the black plumes of smoke. And so the actual, to actually be able to see the results of this terrorism in front of you, it's surreal and it makes it so much more real, actually. Manny Yakutiel, uh, an American restaurateur in Tel Aviv there during the attack, also was at the music festival where things appear to have begun. For now, the war in the Middle East involves just Hamas and Israel, but for how long will it stay that way when we come back? You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. And uh, as horrific as the war between Israel and Hamas has already been, with reports of hundreds of Israeli civilians killed by Hamas, Palestinian civilian uh, deaths are rising in Gaza. There is potential for it to get much, much worse. Uh, there's a possibility of a northern front for Israel with Hezbollah fighters coming out of Lebanon. And then, of course, there is Iran. Uh, Yakov Katz, the former editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post, author of the book Israel versus Iran, The Shadow War. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You know, as we were getting into the show today, I did see uh, some breaking news that now uh, Israel is saying that Syria is firing rockets into Israeli territory. So this is already, uh, in that sense, beginning to expand. Are we going to see more of this? Look, Syria, I mean, you know, Syria, Syria is probably not who's firing those rockets. It's probably the... Um you know, either a Hezbollah terrorist group that or cell that's operating there, that's the Iranian proxy that's based in Lebanon, or maybe some Palestinian faction that's based in Syria. Israel's primary concern is with Lebanon. There is Hezbollah with over 100,000 rockets and missiles that could really cover all of the state of Israel, a much more powerful force than what Hamas has in Gaza. And Israel would have difficulty fighting on two different fronts at the same time. Right now, it's focused on Gaza to clear that up, to push the line of contact, military term, where we engage with the enemy back into their territory. Until now, it's been in our territory. But if that front opens in the north, that would be a distraction and would be much more serious, which means Gaza would have to, we'd have to look away from Gaza 
So that's the big concern right now. As uh, I'm sure you know, the U.S. Uh, has been very, very careful, uh, kind of like walking on, on thin ice when it comes to uh, talking about any possible uh, Iranian involvement in this. Uh, I suspect that sort of uh, uh, carefulness maybe in, in, in talking about it is not the case in Israel. No, look, I mean, Israelis talk about it, and 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 we, it, but there's nothing new with that, right? We've known for years that the Iranians are supporting these terror, they're funding, they're training, they're supplying weapons to terrorist proxies. We see it with Islamic Jihad and Hamas in Gaza. We see it with Hezbollah in Lebanon. We've seen it with other proxies, the, the Houthis in Yemen. Yes, but that would be different, I think, than the suggestion that perhaps they gave the green light or in some way, shape, or form signed off on this particular attack. But let, let, let me let me let me turn the question and say, OK, so if that's the case, what should Israel do now? You could say Israel should take the war to Tehran. Maybe there's some validity to that. But Israel right now has to fight a very tactical battle, which is also a strategic battle on its southern front to stop what was the greatest murderous rampage. Keep this in mind. A thousand Jews killed on a single day was Saturday, October 7, 2023, the most Jews murdered in the world since the Holocaust on a single day, right? Happened this past Saturday. It's astounding. Murdered, babies' heads cut off, pregnant women's stomachs ripped open. This is this murderous rampage, these, these, these animals in Gaza who 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 the Hamas terrorists who carried this out. They have to be stopped. We have to be able to make sure they can never do this again. We have to degrade their capabilities. To attack an Iran right now would, would, would not allow Israel to be able to do that. You know who could get the Iranians to pay a price, though? Think about the United States. Instead of sending the Gerald Ford, this USS aircraft carrier, to the eastern Mediterranean, what if Biden sent it to the Persian Gulf and said to Iran, if Hezbollah fires just one missile, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna attack Beirut. I'm gonna attack Tehran. Put a credible military threat, American credible military threat, on the table against the Iranians, because that's a global problem, and that's something that America should be dealing with. And when, when you're talking about a global problem, you also have to include the uh, problem of uh, nuclear weaponry as well. Uh, expanding a war through uh, the United States as a kind of a proxy for uh, putting a check on Iran might uh, result in a response that no one predicts and no one wants. Uh, if the war expands in that direction, here we are, as we thought it would be with Ukraine and Russia, a global conflict. Yeah, but, you know, on the other hand, if there's one thing, first of all, the Iranians don't yet have nuclear weapons. And that's a problem that also has to be dealt with because they are pursuing it. And until now, diplomacy is not working to stop the Iranians. But here's the question that we have to ask ourselves. And this is this is this is the bigger question here. For 20 years since Israel pulled out of Gaza in 2005, almost 20 years, the whole world, including Israel, held by a policy of containment when it came to Hamas and Gaza. You know, we'll have these rounds once in a while. They'll hit us. We'll hit them every two years or so on average. But 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 in general, there was an understanding. We gave them some economic incentives. There was this two-year you know, round of violence every two years, but otherwise we understood each other. What we learned this past Saturday was that there is no such thing as a policy of containment with an ISIS-like terrorist group such as Hamas. The world now needs to understand that the, that appeasement and containment does not work with Islamic fundamentalist terrorist organization. That applies to Hamas, that applies to Hezbollah, 
that applied to Al-Qaeda and to ISIS back in the day and to the Taliban, as we've seen what's happening in Afghanistan, and it applies to the Iranians. And, and so if we could still sit back and say, no, let's negotiate another deal or let's release more money or let's, but that will not work because it will flip itself on us. Right. But you know, more, yes, more but, of what happened Saturday. Yes. But, but Jocko, if you know that there are those who would make the argument that the one thing that would work that hasn't happened is the establishment of a Palestinian state, right? So, you know, we could talk about the establishment of the Palestinian state. And personally, I feel that Israel could have done more over the years, not with Gaza, which was taken over, if you remember, in 2007 by Hamas, which threw out the Palestinian Authority. They're not present in the Gaza Strip. But we could do more with the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. But the reason that this happened on Saturday was not because of there's no two-state solution. The reason this happened on Saturday was because there is a terrorist group in Gaza called Hamas, which is hell-bent on annihilating the Jewish state and the Jewish people. That is what they're about. If they wanted a two-state solution, there's an easy solution. You guys know what it is? It's called lay down your weapons and say, we are willing to negotiate and recognize the Jewish state. You know, it was 50 years ago, pretty much that our prime minister then, Golda Meir, who was the prime minister during the Yom Kippur War of 1973, she coined a great phrase. If we lay down our weapons, we will no longer exist. If they lay down their weapons, there'll be peace. It's yeah, but how do you, but, yeah, but, but, but a quick question here. How do, how do you pull that off, negotiations, when you do have hardliners, and you know this, in your government now, who outrightly reject the notion of a two-state solution? So how do you have a negotiation if it's considered a non-starter among prominent people in your own government. But the, again, the two-state solution is is not relevant today. Well, it may not be relevant to this. About, right. It, it may not be relevant to this particular horrific, uh, you know, battle that's going on now. But I'm talking about the long range solution to because you were talking about, you know, Palestinians, they should lay down their arms, whether perhaps the terrorists, I doubt they would, but, uh, and negotiate. What I'm asking you is how do you do that long-term negotiation that ultimately would lead to a lasting peace when you do have a very hard right-wing faction now in your government who outrightly rejects it? They outrightly rejected, and I'm not here to defend those far-right elements of the coalition. Some of them I, I, I don't tolerate. But what they do is that this was born out of constant terrorism and the murder of thousands of Jews and Israelis in terrorist attacks that go back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. But if we go back 20 years to buses blowing up, to cafes blowing up, to Hamas perfected the suicide bomb belt, right? And the suicide bombing attack. This didn't happen this week. They've been doing this for decades, but the world thought it was, no, it's because of the settlements or it's because of the two-state solution. What we saw on Saturday is a level of savagery at that, that, that is, it stems from something that's not about the, 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 the yearning for independence and, and self-determination. It's about the annihilation of the Jewish people. Yaakov uh, Katz, thank you so much for joining us, uh, editor-in-chief of the uh, Jerusalem Post and author of the book Israel versus Iran, The Shadow War.
You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Charles Feldman. I'm Rob Archer. At uh, the end of today's In-Depth, we will talk about if the United States can arm two allies fighting two different wars at the same time. Right now, though, we are still talking with Yaakov Katz, who's the former editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post and author of the book Israel versus Iran, The Shadow War. Um, how do you see this ending? I know that, that, that we've asked other people in Israel how they see it ending, and of course it's hard to get past the uh, horror of what's happened in the past few days, but eventually you do have to get past that uh, and decide as a people how this is going to end. What is the end to this? I mean, wiping out Hamas, is that even doable? Uh, you know, those are slogans that are very difficult to, yeah. to uh, you know, uh, see how they are actualized, right? right. You know, people say you should topple Hamas, collapse Hamas, destroy Hamas. It's very difficult to destroy a movement, right? You can, I think what we can talk about more realistically is a severe degrading of their capabilities, which means the airstrikes that we've been seeing, but also sending ground troops, boots on the ground inside Gaza, going house to house, door to door, uh, smoking out these Hamas fighters, killing the bad guys, capturing as many as possible, and destroying as much infrastructure as they encounter. Does that mean they are destroyed? Probably not, because as long as one or two of them remain alive, right, they'll declare that they're still there. But I think what Israel can do is hopefully weaken them to the point that they will never want to do what they what they did this week again. But also possibly it could lead to a new reality. We don't know, and that's the that's the truth. No one can predict exactly what will happen the day after. But right now, that's not what Israel's thinking about. What Israel's thinking about now is the defense of its country. Remember, they breached the border in dozens of different places. The border is currently open. There was just a gun battle on the streets of Ashkelon, a city inside Israel where two terrorists came in and started shooting at people on the streets. So they're still crossing in from Gaza. Israel has to move what I said before, the line of contact back into their territory to stop these constant infiltrations. What happens after uh, Israel is victorious here and and Hamas, let's say Hamas is completely wiped out, uh, even if you succeeded in doing that and there is not one Hamas person left, the organization uh, goes on to the dustbin of history. What's going to happen, and I think you know as well as anybody else, some other group, some other group of people will come in, they will take charge and it will create itself all over again. You chop off one head, another head grows back in its place. Where's the ultimate solution? You know, that that is a possibility. And unfortunately, we in Israel, for 75 years of statehood, and even as the Jewish people, through thousands of years of nationhood, we have we, we, we have experience with people, movements, parties, countries trying to destroy us. So the, the fact that you knock off one head and another head grows back eventually. That's another Sunday for the Jewish people and for the state of Israel. Unfortunately, I say that with great sadness. However, what about the prospect that after the terrible war of Yom Kippur back in 1973, which we were surprised, but we ultimately overcame, what happened just four years later? Anwar Sadat flew to Israel in 1977 and said, no more war, no more bloodshed. But so there's but there's one key di- yeah but there's one key difference and you yourself hinted at it before uh, Yaakov the difference there was the Israelis were dealing with a state right with, with a government here 
you're dealing with, uh, in your words, a terrorist group, uh, which doesn't have uh, a, a state backing. Well, I mean, it may have a state backing in, in, in some ways, but it's not the state. It's not a government. So are the prospects realistically then the same when you go back in history and you look, well, what happened after the, uh, the last war? But that was different. You were dealing with Egypt. You're, you're right. I mean, that's 100% true. But it's not something that we, we could have known then. And we can't know exactly how this will end now either. What I'm, you know, could it be, is it possible that Hamas will be so weakened that the Palestinian people will decide they don't want them anymore? I, I have no way of knowing. But right now, that's not, that can't be the objective. Of course, we have to think about the end strategy. How do we get out of when we go in? What do we want the 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 result to look like? At what point do we say, okay, we've we've degraded enough of their capabilities? All of that has to be decided. But Israel also has to be, has to have humility and realize we're not going to bring in some puppet of Israel and plant him or her as the new leader of Gaza. That would be foolish, right? We've seen countries that have done that. It doesn't work, right? So you do have to have it come organically from within. But I think that right now, if there is a show of strength, if if our enemies realize that what was can no longer be, then maybe there is a chance for a change. And that is what this opportunity, this in, in time needs to be about, to teach the, 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 the Hamas, the Palestinians, other enemies and adversaries, what was will no longer be. Yaakov Katz, thank you so much. Uh, former editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post and a book called Israel versus Ron, the Shadow War. Uh, thanks so much for uh, helping us shed some light on the situation in Israel. The United States military will soon be faced with providing weapons to two different allies, fighting two different wars all at the same time. When we come back, we are going to talk about that. You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Uh, shortly after the Hamas surprise attack was launched on Israel, the Israeli Defense Forces called Pentagon, and they needed American weapon system, and they needed them fast. Now, the U.S., which had already been emptying out its weapon storage facilities across the globe to help arm Ukraine for over a year and a half, well, now we're faced with digging even deeper into reserves. Peter Mansour is a retired U.S. Army colonel. He served as the executive officer to General David Petraeus. That was in Iraq. And currently, uh, Peter is a professor of military history at Ohio State. Peter, thanks for being back with us. Oh, my pleasure. So uh, that is the, the initial question anyway on the table. Um, can the U.S., does the U.S. have the resources? And then we can also, if you'd like, get into the willpower uh, politically, that is, to come to the aid of not one but but two uh, allies uh, on this sort of global scale, each one basically having proxy wars going on at the same time? In the short term, yes. Israel requires a lot of precision air-delivered munitions. Ukraine really doesn't have an air force to speak of, and so it won't be competing for those same munitions uh, Ukraine needs lots and lots and lots of artillery shells, which Israel may need in the future, but right now it can use existing stocks to fight its war in Gaza. Okay, uh, so if this continues on, though, are we also making our own military more vulnerable in that so many resources are going to two different allies? 
Well, our stocks will be drawn down and we would be vulnerable if we entered into a major conflict, say with China over Taiwan. But that, that's not on the horizon um, at the moment. And the Congress was taking action, at least before they lost a Speaker of the House, to uh, ramp up U.S. defense uh, industry capabilities, especially producing more artillery shells. But quite frankly, that's going to take uh, several years to get that up to speed. Since the Iranians, you know, without doubt, have been funding and 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 helping uh, Hamas in many many different ways, whether or not they gave a green light to this particular uh, attack on the weekend, uh, apparently the U.S. government anyway is is not saying that we have any evidence of as yet. But uh, there are people suggesting we just had on the air uh, the former. Uh, editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post, who suggested that perhaps the U.S. should be sending a warship in the vicinity of Iran with a very direct and explicit threat to Tehran, that uh, any further violence would be replicated in their city by U.S. military. Well, this um, this conflict certainly plays into Iran's hands. Uh, before it started, there was a possibility of an Israeli peace agreement with Saudi Arabia, which would have included U.S. defense guarantees to Saudi Arabia, and Iran didn't want any of that. And now that's pretty much off the table, at least for the near term. Um, so uh, that is uh, an issue, but this conflict is going to go on regardless of what Iran does at this point. Uh, this war has taken uh, a path of its own. And uh, I'm afraid it's going to go on for several months at least. You know, there's a lot of chaos in Congress. It's not just the uh, lack of a House speaker at the current moment and uh, Republicans trying to figure out who's going to be the leader next. But you've also got situations where several key positions in the military are unfilled. Uh, I believe that uh, we also do not currently have an official ambassador to Israel at this point. Uh, Does that put us in an untenable position if... These positions are not filled soon and the issues in Congress not resolved soon. Uh, The position is not untenable, but we are certainly much weaker without a full slate of general officers and uh, civil servants to guide uh, U.S. policy going forward. Uh, There are senators and, um, you know, putting holds on these nominations for political reasons not connected with the nominations themselves. And it is hurting Uh, U.S. national security, unfortunately. When you say this could go on for months, is that because of the hostage situation that complicates things greatly? No, I think it's because Israel is going to invade Gaza on the ground. In the past, they've done that for maybe several weeks at most and then have withdrawn. Uh, But this time, at least what uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu says, they want to eliminate uh, Hamas's capability to wage war. And that is a very tall order indeed, and it's going to take a long time. A lot of U.S. officials saying at this point, uh, nobody's talking about American boots on the ground, but could that moment arrive ever? I, I doubt so. I doubt that seriously. I think Israel has the capabilities it needs to handle this situation, and at the moment it has the willpower. Uh, whether we have uh, the willpower in Congress to continue to support Israel over the long term, we'll see. Peter Manchur, retired U.S. Army colonel, served as the executive officer to General David Petraeus and Rock, currently professor of military history at Ohio State. Coming up, one young man's story of survival from a dance music festival that was under attack by Hamas.
You're listening to KX in Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Charles Felvin. As thousands of Hamas terrorists streamed across the Gaza border into southern Israel on Saturday, one of their first targets was a dance music festival that had been underway all night long, less than three miles away from Gaza. Revelers who had spent the night dancing and were watching the sun come up had no idea of the horrors that were about to unfold, at least 260 people killed by Hamas at that festival. Gal Buchsmann was at the Nova Trance Music Festival. He's an American-Israeli, and he managed to make it out, and he joins us now. Gal, uh, thank you for being with us. Glad you're uh, around to be with us, and I hope I got your last name right. Yeah, I got it right. Hey, everyone. First of all, I want to say it's just a miracle I'm here. Truly is. It's just a miracle. You know, it's fate. It's it's miracle. It's everything together. How long have you been in it? You're an American Israeli. How long have you been in Israel? So I was born in San Francisco, and then I was on and off U.S.-Israel. Um, I was in Atlanta, Georgia for a couple of years. Um, you know, I'm American, half American, half Israeli. The culture, the sports, everything is American. What was it like uh, when the attack uh, first began? I imagine, I, I can imagine in my head, lots of screaming, uh, chaos, confusion. What was it like for you? So I'll just I'll start from the beginning. We were four friends. Uh, we arrived to the party around 5 a.m. This is a time for this kind of parties. Like the sunrise is the you know the biggest part in the in the this rave. Um, we arrived uh, early in the morning. We had the best time. It was great festival. It was peace, love, you know, good vibes. End of the vacations for us for holidays, Shabbat. And uh, on 6.30, we saw a bombardment of around 250, 250 missiles coming in from Gaza to all those settlements around us. Um, now, I have to tell you, it's not uh, like special for us to see that. I've seen it. I was a combat soldier in the Israeli army. I've seen this kind of missiles coming in. This was the first time, you know, we were like, we're in open space. It was kind of frightening, but it wasn't still the chaotic part in this story. And so then, as you were watching these rockets come by, as you said, you've seen this before. When did it become painfully obvious that this was different? So, as I, as I tell everyone, the fate of you, you living, surviving this this massacre was: when are you going to leave this party? The first ones who saw those missiles and were like, hey, we have to jump. We have to go. That's a, it's a group of friends. They took the car and then they were slaughtered on the streets, on the roads, on the interconnections. You know, all the Hamas terrorists were, were there. Um, the ones who stayed later on, uh, just, you know, waiting for it to calm down. They got slaughtered, kidnapped, you know, raped in the end of the party. Um, so you had like, you know, a window of fate, luck, miracle, whatever you want to call it, of you and your friends who came with you deciding, are you leaving or not? Um, from there, what happened is we decided after 30, 40 minutes, we smoked a cigarette, we were calming down, you know, it was, we were raving 40, 50 minutes before. Um, we decided to go in the car and go in the traffic jam. There was a huge traffic jam because the blocks, the, the roads were blocked by the police because they heard rumors of shooting. Um, and we were just crawling in our cars, you know, bombs, bombs coming in. We hear shoot, shoot, shooting outside of the car. And 
after around, you know, five, 10 minutes, we were in the route that the police opened, which was into the lands, just not in the road, just lands, you know, vegetables and fruits are grown in that lands. And we decided we were going that route. And after 15, 20 minutes, there's a, there's a special, there was like a video running in the internet when people are running and uh, you can see me in that video, leaving the car. No, we saw a thousand people running. Gal, let me. I, I hate to interrupt, but but I am curious. Did you lose any friends to to this? Yeah. And are you processing that? How how do you process that? Being in the middle of it, I imagine maybe it hasn't even hit you completely yet, has so, it? Yeah. I, the thing is, I didn't lose them in front of my eyes. Um, I lost them afterwards when I just understood who died, which is you know, it's a tenth of the party just died or kidnapped. It's just insane. It's, it's, you can't believe it. It's like three out of, uh, you know, one out of 10 died or kidnapped. It's, it's unbelievable. How old are you now, Gal? I'm 27. 27. And you were in the military, you said, uh, but I don't know if you saw people die in the military. Soldiers often do, but I would imagine that would be very different than this situation. It's different. Unarmed, you know, running for our lives, the bullets coming in, people following. You understand the people who are left behind are, you know, their chances are are equal to zero mostly. And we know that afterwards as well, that the number of dead are just insane. How, um, how long was it until uh, IDF forces uh, uh, showed up there? Oh, it took hours. I was already walking around two and a half hours and I didn't see, I saw one helicopter above zero and didn't see any, you know, army or, or cops coming in. We understood this is, you know, Armageddon. This is what Americans' doomsday looks like. It looks like that, you know. Those bunkers and guns people are holding, it's for this kind of situations. Are you going to stay in Israel or since you are uh, also an American citizen, right? Are you going to come back here now? So, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of history. You know, World War II, Holocaust. We have no other country. So, yeah, I can live in the U.S., for a couple of years, enjoy life, you know. I have a lot of Israeli friends and Jewish friends, and it's amazing. I love the U.S., but it's our country. Why well, are we just going to give it away? You know, it's, it's just insane. We are not going to give it away, and we are going to fight back like we always do. But I think this time, this time after a lot of years, people are seeing the barbaric, you know, people there. It's, it's people they want us to do peace with. Let me ask you a dark question. Do you it. personally want revenge? Yes. Of course. Of course. It, 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 of course. After this kind of massacre, you know, 40 babies were beheaded. Yeah. I can say truly, yes. But now, the difference between me and the Hamas is not, I'm, I'm not going to kill those babies or those kids. There are going to be casualties, and we know that. Everyone knows that. We know they're holding them with them. This, I can, you know, I can bear. But the, 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 the vengeance on Hamas terrorists, who hell doesn't want it? It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's 9-11, Al-Qaeda, Pearl Harbor together. That's what we feel here. What does, though, in your mind, Gal, what does revenge look like? You know, we talk about it a lot as Israelis. What is, what is, you know, what is going to happen here? We have the West Bank, we have Lebanon, Syria, Iran, Gaza. 
and everyone is different. They don't like each other as well. And we always think, what is what is the best option to, to you know to do peace? And we're thinking, and and it's sad, but you know, we 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 don't know. So even now, when you tell me what is you know what is uh, even the revenge or how big should the, the military force be? I think it should be something that 50 years, the Gaza Strip and other enemies who want to, like the North, they won't remember, they won't forget this. They won't forget this. If not, then we cannot live here. People are not going to live in South of Israel for the next 10 years. Truly think. Do you uh, see yourself donning a uniform again? Of course. Wherever, wherever I needed, I'm going to be there. Like the U.S., I think it's the same. We are similar in a lot of parts. We are patriotic. 350,000 people were, you know, recruited. It's it's insane. You know, it's it's 2% of the country. Uh, this These are the numbers. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're ready. We'll be there. Nobody's going to kick us out of here. Are, are you uh, giving any some no thought to how this got past uh, a very elite military that the Israelis have, uh, a very uh, good intelligence community, uh, which Israelis have. Uh, and yet this was an attack that began in a very low-tech way. It, you know, despite all the, the fancy stuff that spy agencies use, basically you had people on hang gliders and driving uh, vehicles through fences. I mean, that's kind of low tech. True. You know, I don't have answers for that. It's horrible. You know, in Yom Kippur, we were surprised, but we were an army against an army. And you know, the massacre we just saw, I'm not even sure in Yom Kippur, the, 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 Egypt, the Egyptians would have, would have done something like that. Like this is, this is ISIS. This is ISIS. I know there was, you know, the, the, Issue with the fence and what happened, I know it's horrible, but we can't now think about it before we even, you know, one, we have 200 kidnapped people. Think about in the U.S., 200, the cartel in New Mexico kidnaps 200 U.S. citizens. What happens in the U.S.? What happens in the U.S.? That is insane. Can we go through the next? Uh, Gal uh, Bukhshvan, thank you so much, was at the uh, Nova Trans Music Festival an American Israeli uh, served time in uniform, says he is ready to serve in uniform again. He did manage to make it out, obviously. Uh, so we talked to him. And thanks for giving us an on-the-ground personal view of how it was when it all started. That's been a special edition of KNX In-Depth Today.